Welcome to this new study in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is one of the best loved books of the Bible. It's also one of the longest books of the Bible. And so we're, I'm not intending for us to go through the entire book of Psalms just now, but here's what I want us to do. Uh, first of all, I want you to think about a room that has many doorways. Maybe you've had this experience before where you've walked through a particular room the same direction over and over and over and you feel like you know the room really well. But then one day you walk through that room coming from a different doorway and all of a sudden the room looks different. Uh, you realize that you've never looked at it from this angle and uh, perhaps you don't even recognize the room at first. Well, what I want to do with the book of Psalms is I want to open up for you several different doorways that you can use to enter the book of Psalms. And each one of them is going to give you a different perspective, a different understanding of what is going on in the book of Psalms. The doorway I want to open for us today is this, that the book of Psalms is arranged intentionally to tell a story. Now, if you sing hymns at your church, like we do at our church, uh, or you have a hymnal at your house, uh, I encourage you to try something. Open up the hymnal to the table of contents. You may not have ever done that before, but if you open up the hymnal to the table of contents, you'll see that the hymns in the hymnal are arranged with a particular order. There may be uh, large categories like in the hymnal our church uses. It begins with songs about God the Father, then moves to songs about God the Son, then about God the Spirit, then the Trinity, then the Word of God, and so on. And when you start to notice that, and notice which songs have been selected for which categories, that can help you understand more fully what the hymn that you're singing is about, right? When you recognize what category it's in, uh, what kinds of hymns it's been grouped with, it might draw your attention to uh, things in the lyrics of that hymn that maybe you hadn't noticed before. Maybe you hadn't noticed how much this particular hymn says about the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you hadn't noticed that this hymn uh, describes all three persons of the Trinity, or, or whatever the case may be. Well, how did that come to be? Well, somebody had to organize it. Somebody had to make those decisions. Somebody had to pay careful attention to what each hymn said so that they could put those hymns in the right categories, in the right groupings, and those groupings, those categories, that structure right, tells us something about what those who put that hymnal together believe, what they think is important, what they think we should give our attention to, and so on. Now, the book of Psalms is the hymn book of Israel, the song book of Israel. And so I want you to think about this. Were the Psalms put together in a particular order for a particular purpose? Or are they just sort of a grab bag, just sort of shuffled together and um, with, with no purpose? Well, clearly they were put together with a purpose. And here's one of the reasons that we know that. You might not have noticed this before, but if you open your Bible to the book of Psalms, before you see that big number one, marking Psalm 1, you should see a title of sorts that says Book 1. Book 1. That's there to tell you that this is not just 
a bunch of Psalms in one book, but that within the book of Psalms, there are multiple books. In fact, if you flip through the book of Psalms, you'll discover that there are in fact five books that make up the book of Psalms. Those books are uh, made up of Psalms 1 through 41, that's book 1, then Psalms 42 to 72, that's book 2, then Psalms 73 to 89, that's book 3, Psalms 90 to 106 make up book 4, and then finally Psalms 107 to 150 make up book 5. Now, why are there five books? Does this mean anything? Is there any significance to it? Well, one suggestion is uh, maybe the five books of the Psalms are supposed to relate to the five books of Moses, what we call the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There are five books by Moses. Perhaps the five books of the Psalms are meant to recall uh, the writing of Moses. And certainly there's a sense in which um, that's probably true and makes a lot of sense. In fact, the longest psalm, of course, is Psalm 119, which extols the greatness of the law, of God's word, of how much we should love it and delight in it and how good it is for us. So it's probably not an accident that there are five books of the psalms, just like there are five books of Moses. But I think the primary intention of those five books is to tell us a particular story. That is the story of Israel. Now, what I'm about to share with you, I did not come up with myself. I've, I've learned this from uh, my professor, Dr. Hamilton. He talks about this in his commentary on the Psalms, which I've been looking at recently. Uh, he's talked about this before, I think, in his earlier book, God's Glory and Salvation Through Judgment. Um, and other scholars have talked about these things as well, noted the different books and uh, wanted to explain how the, the Psalms is organized. But I'm going to be leaning heavily on uh, what Dr. Hamilton uh, suggests as the reason for uh, these five books or what these five books are about, because I think he's right. Some of my descriptions will be a little bit different than his. Some of it, mine will be the same as his. But here's what I think is going on in the Psalms. The most clear indication that the Psalms are telling us a story is found at the end of book two. Okay, I want you to think about this. Who do we associate mainly with the Psalms? What person, what human being do we primarily associate with the Psalms? It's David, right? We know that David wrote Psalms. He wrote lots of Psalms. Now, are all the Psalms in the book of Psalms, are they all written by David? No. Uh, there are other, other authors named like Moses, uh, the sons of Korah, etc. The others than David, but David is the primary author. Uh, he's mentioned the most. But here's something very interesting. At the end of book two, okay, so this is at the end of Psalm 72. At the end of book two, it says that the words, or excuse me, not the words, but the prayers, uh, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. That's in Psalm 72, verse 20. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Now, why would it say that there? You've only gone through two of the five books. In fact, there are psalms that are clearly, clearly written by David that come after Psalm 72. So what does it mean when it says 
the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended, they're at the end of book two. I think that is a signal that we are being told through these songs and prayers, we are being told a story. At the end of each five books, there's another marker to indicate that these divisions are significant. So at the end of each book, at the end of the last psalm for each book, there is sort of a benediction, a final blessing. So at the end of Psalm 41, it says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. To be amen and amen. At the end of Psalm 72, it says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And then it says, The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. At the end of Psalm 89, it says, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. At the end of Psalm 106, it says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150, which is the final psalm of the whole book of Psalms, as well as the conclusion to book 5, begins, Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. And then it ends, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So there's these benedictions uh, at the end of each of the five books, also marking their end. And uh, so this is significant as well. All right, so what are these five books about? What are they telling us? What is the, is there a progression? What's going on? Well, Dr. Hamilton has suggested, and I think he's right, and probably others have suggested the same, that these Psalms are meant to rehearse Israel's story, meant to tell us Israel's story. And as they remind us of Israel's story, they also remind us of something profoundly true and important about Israel's God. So here's what we see in the first book of Psalms. Psalms 1 through 41 seems to focus primarily on David's suffering. Okay, so book 1 is about David's suffering. The Psalm 1 and 2 um, are sort of like an introduction. Others have talked about that as well. And then Psalm 3, we'll come back to those in another study. Uh, Psalm 3 is the first one that we're told who wrote it. And it says, it's a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So that's a, a key moment in David's life when he's on the run because his son Absalom is trying to take the throne from him. And later in Psalm 18, uh, it tells us that, that psalm is about when David was delivered from the hand of Saul. Uh, psalm 34 is about David uh, among the Philistines, again because he's fleeing from Saul. And many other psalms in that first book deal with suffering, enemies, and so on. There's a theme right, through those psalms. Then when you get to book 2, it's still focused on David. Remember the prayers of David are said to end at the end of book 2. And this section seems to focus more on David's reign as king, though his suffering is still a key part of the story there as well. Psalm 51, for example, is about David's sin with Bathsheba. Psalm 52 and 54 are about when David's location was told to Saul. Uh, Psalm 56, David's taken by the Philistines. Psalm 57, David flees from Saul. Psalm 59, Saul tries to kill David. Psalm 69 is a psalm of great suffering. And Psalm 72 ends with what seems to be a prayer for Solomon's reign. It says at the top there that it is a psalm 
um, it, that it's of Solomon, which could mean that it's for Solomon or uh, by Solomon or about Solomon. Uh, and then that's when the prayers of David are said to be ended. I think because the story of David, his suffering and his reign, has been told in books 1 and 2 of the Psalms. Okay, well, if David's the one who wrote most of the Psalms, and books 1 and 2 are about his life and his reign, then what's the rest? what are the rest of the Psalms about? Book 3 seems to be about the destruction of the temple. Dr. Hamilton says this is about uh, the destruction of the, the house of David. Those two things go together, of course. So what do we see when we skim through book 3 of the Psalms? Well, in Psalm 73, the wicked seem to prosper. Psalm 74 says, O God, why do you cast us off forever? They set your sanctuary on fire. Now, that's probably a reference to the destruction of the temple, when the temple was destroyed. Uh, and if you've been with us in our study of 2 Kings, we just talked about that. At the end of 2 Kings, the Babylonians come, and they uh, capture Jerusalem, and they destroy the temple, and they burn it to the ground. And that seems to be what's going on in this third book of the Psalms, what it's reflecting on. Psalm 77 says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Psalm 78 recounts how Israel sinned against God despite all he did for them in the Exodus and so on. And then it says in verse 60 of Psalm 78, He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. Now, that refers to an incident in Israel's history we don't talk about very much. But before Solomon built the temple, and before David brought the ark into Jerusalem, the tabernacle of God was at Shiloh. And Jeremiah talks about this, I think it's in Jeremiah 7, where there are people who, are, who believe that they are going to be safe despite their sin, simply because God's temple is there. And Jeremiah reminds them that God's dwelling place used to be at Shiloh, Right? But he allowed it to be destroyed. And the same thing will happen again later to the temple. And that seems to be what this psalm is reminding us of. Psalm 79 says, O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. Oh, that sounds like the end of 2 Kings. That sounds like the Babylonians taking over the city and destroying the temple. Psalm 80 has the refrain, Restore us, O God, again and again. Psalm 84 takes on special urgency and emotional uh, potency when you think about if this psalm is meant to be read in the context of thinking about the temple having been destroyed, when it says, How lovely is your dwelling place. Right, This longing for the temple that has now been taken away, has been destroyed. Psalm 85, again, is about God restoring His people. Psalm 87 is a reminder that the Lord loves Zion, the city of God. And then Psalm 89 uh, reminds us of God's that God's promises to David are sure and unending. Now, here's why that's significant. God promised David that one of his sons would sit on his throne forever and that his kingdom would have no end. God is going to keep that promise because he is faithful. But what happens when the temple is destroyed and uh, Jerusalem is exiled? 
the king is carried off, right? Um, at one point, the king is carried off to Babylon. Uh, it looks like David's kingdom, David's reign is over. The temple that his son Solomon built is gone. Is God going to keep these promises to David or not? Is there going to be a king that will sit on David's throne forever? Well, of course he's going to keep those promises, but this psalm reminds us that at that time, it didn't look like it, right? Verse 38 says, But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. Psalm 46 asks, How long, O Lord? Or excuse me, verse 46. Um, It also says, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? God, how long is this going to last? Where has your steadfast love gone? It doesn't seem like it's here. That's what Psalm 89 is about. So book three is about the temple being destroyed and God's people being uh, taken into exile is also part of that, which we're going to see some of that in book four. So book three is about the destruction of the temple. Then book four expresses a longing for a return from exile when the temple will be rebuilt. So Psalm 90 and 91 are both about God being our dwelling place. Psalm 92 talks about evildoers and that they will not prosper forever. But the righteous, it says, quote, are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Where is the house of the Lord? Where are the courts of our God? Psalm 94 says, the Lord will not forsake his people. Psalm um, 98 says, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. How have they seen that? What has God done? Well, he's delivered them, right? He's rescued them. He's re- uh, remembered them, it says. Verse, uh, Psalm 99 says, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. The Lord is great in Zion. He's exalted over all the peoples. Um, Psalm 105 says that God will remember forever his covenant to, Ab- to give Abraham's offspring the land. So they're going to be brought back to the land. God hasn't forgotten that promise. And then Psalm 106 recounts Israel's sins, but then it says, Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations. When they were exiled, Right? They were scattered among the nations, and now God is going to gather them again. He's going to bring them back, and the temple is going to be rebuilt. So then we get to book five, the last book, which is about celebrating the return from exile. Uh, and it starts with Psalm 107. Notice we know these words, but think about them in the context of this story. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They're being gathered back. They're being redeemed by God, brought back into the land. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That takes on special emphasis when there hasn't been a house of the Lord, a temple to go to. Psalm 126, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. We were just overwhelmed with how amazing this was when God finally brought us 
back. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Solomon built a beautiful temple, but when God said it was time for it to be destroyed, it didn't matter. Surely they had watchmen over the city of Jerusalem. When God said it was time for Jerusalem to be destroyed, didn't matter. It's their trust in the Lord. It's the work of the Lord that matters the most. Psalm 147 says the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. So over and over and over, we see uh, in these books these themes, right? What God is doing. We see David's suffering, David's reign, the destruction of the temple, uh, the longing to return from exile, and then the, the celebration of the return from exile. Uh, Dr. Hamilton sums it up this way. He, he summarizes book one as the suffering of the historical David, book two, the reign of the historical David, book three, the end of the historical Davidic house, Book four, Moses intercedes for the Davidic covenant. He points out that the first psalm in that book is by Moses. And so it's as though Moses is praying for the people of Israel like he did uh, in his own lifetime. And then book five, he uh, refers to as the conquest of the future Davidic king. We may talk about more about that um, later because that's pointing toward the Messiah. We're going to talk about that in another session, how the these psalms are also ultimately about Jesus, how they're about the Messiah. And so we see that story of Israel unfolding and being recounted in the five books that make up the book of Psalms. Now, why does all of that matter? Let me give you a couple of reasons why that matters. Number one is seeing the big picture helps you see the details. Right? Most of the time we come to the Psalms looking for things that resonate with our experience. Right? If we're suffering, we look for psalms that express suffering. If we're rejoicing, we look for psalms that express rejoicing. If we are distressed and downcast, we look for psalms that talk about that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we'll talk about how helpful and important that is uh, in another session. But one thing we miss when we do that is we miss a lot of the details. We miss a lot of what the psalms are actually saying. In other words, if you look for things that resonate with you, you're probably not ever going to stop on the verse that talks about the sanctuary being destroyed by fire. But if you know the big picture and you recognize that as a reference to the destruction of the temple, which is one of the darkest days in all Israel's history, if not the darkest, right, when the dwelling place of God, which had been abandoned by God, was utterly destroyed and the people of Israel or people of Judah were carried off into a foreign land by idolatrous pagans and had to live outside the land that had been promised and given to the descendants of Abraham. Think how distressing and terrible that was. There's a whole book about how awful it was called Lamentations. It was a very dark day. And so if you come to the Psalms with your own darkness, distress, trouble, hardship, even that line about the destruction of the temple, maybe even especially that line, can resonate with you because you know whoever wrote that psalm is talking about one of the darkest hardest things that the people of israel ever went through so if you're going through something dark hard painful you know the person who wrote this psalm knows what i'm talking about knows what i'm going through knows the kind of thing i'm experiencing so seeing the big picture helps you see the details 
And seeing the big picture helps you see how the whole book speaks to us. Because those details that we often skip over, like, uh, again, the destruction of the temple, right? Or any other number of things. Those details, if we know what they mean, if we know how they fit in the bigger story, they're also going to speak to us as well. So that's just one doorway through which we can enter into the Psalms. And hopefully that's opened up some new angles, some new perspectives, some ways for you to see some things you haven't seen before. Next time, Lord willing, we're going to talk about how all the Psalms are ultimately about Jesus, or the whole book of Psalms is ultimately about Jesus. How do they connect to Jesus? How do they point to Jesus? How do they tell us about Jesus? How are they related to Jesus? That's going to be our focus in our next study. I hope you'll join us. God bless.